You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on RBMA Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. Our special guest today is our resident DJ, Patrick Russell, who's going to be in the mix for the entire show. We're going to stop in the middle for an interview, so stay tuned. And he's going to be joining us. His next big gig is the 36-hour Unter versus the Bunker Party on July 15th. More info on that on our website, if you don't already know, thebunkerny.com. And now we're just going to get right into the mix with Patrick Russell. This is The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.
was no longer. And uh, she was no longer. She was no longer. She was no longer. Lived no longer. She was no longer money store in the street, the street store in the street. He knew he had seen her money store in the street, then fire in the street, and they look cool, bro. He knew he had seen her then fire in the street, and they look cool, bro. Run, 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 Money store in the street. He knew he had seen her before, before he saw her. He had seen her, he saw her. He had seen her before, 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 but couldn't place himself.
Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. We have been in the mix since the top of the show with Patrick Russell. Thanks for joining us, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Wait, I've got to move a little bit. (laughs) The mic stand is blocking your face. That would have been a really weird interview. Um, So this set in particular, this this is reminding me uh, a lot of the sets that I've been hearing you play at the Mysteries of the Deep parties, which have been going on for how long have the events been going on now? Two years? <laughs> yeah, I think it's been, uh, th- I think the, the fourth one will be coming up soon. Yeah. Grant, he, Grant know best. Yeah, Grant does a couple of those a year, and you're, you're a resident DJ. That's one of your residencies. Yes, that's a, it's a really fun one, because we get to, like, just play all experimental, um, stretch out, play all kinds of weird stuff. And is that, is that your first, uh, I guess, do you have experience playing that kind of music in public, or is this, is this a new thing with Mysteries of the Deep? I know you've That's, been collecting that music for a long time, but right, and playing it at home, uh, playing it for friends. Um, I think when I when we had my birthday party up upstate was the first time that we kind of really started stretching out and playing that kind of stuff like more seriously. And, right. Um, that kind of led into the mysteries parties and the pod. Oh, I mean, he was already starting to do the podcast. I think at that point, but right. So, but those events, you kind of like it does. It does turn into a dance party at some point. Like, it's it, it turns more rhythmic. I end up playing last, so I kind of it, after a night of uh, having synth and kind of drone elements, you know, bouncing back and forth, you kind of want a little bit of rhythm. And you know, we don't want it to be too much of a dance party, but for yeah. sure, it definitely gets like rhythmic. And I try not to play anything that's too like four on the floor. So it seems like like you're 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 obviously playing a lot more in recent months, last year Correct. or so. And I guess I'm wondering with all these. There's some similarities between some of these parties, but you you played at Labyrinth Festival, you've played at Bergheim, you're resident at the Bunker, you play at Mysteries of the Deep, you're resident at No Way Back. Um, when you're digging for music, how are you? Are you like thinking about it in terms of what, like which events you think the tracks are going to fit into, or is it just like you're just drawn to the tracks and figure it out later? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, there's sometimes I'm look I'm actively looking for things that I can play at a mysteries type event. Um, when before Berghain, I was actually digging for things that I thought would be specific to that uh, that experience, of course. But overall, I think I, I I try and pull from yeah. Those are my main two arenas. Like, or maybe it's more than that. There's no way back. It's kind of its own style. But right. And then. Uh, for like labyrinth i was pulling a very specific set so I, yeah when i'm digging the things just kind of pop out and i think i'm yeah i have a place for this or perhaps i just want it for for just for listening but then it ends up getting played somewhere anyway yeah so you you played at berghain for the first time in february that was part of the bunker new york we kind of had a full i don't know 24 hour takeover or something a very long yeah, takeover of berghain um how what kind of preparation went into that set how do you like what what is your process I hadn't even stepped foot in in Berghain, uh, up to, at before that point. Like so ever you had never no. been there. You just so the preparation was kind of it's. Thankfully, I have a really good imagination. I can just like, imagine, <laughs> like, what, just imagine like environments. I do that actually before just about every set. It's kind of like I get in uh, get in kind of like a an image of what the party's going to be like in my head and like the the vibe, like the time of night, the amount of people, and I just kind of prepare going off of like what I think that energy is going to be like at that moment and pull records, you know, kind of just a big pile of, of tracks for that 
that kind of scenario. Yeah, I have a similar process and I find that sometimes I completely nail it in my head and other times I arrive and it's like the whole plan is out the window actually. I, yeah, I try not to yeah. plan too much ahead right. of time. <laughs> I don't, I never really plan out a set. I think uh, at Berghain I knew the track I was going to start off with about 10 minutes before I started and then everything else I just kind of... So, well yeah, that's this is kind of an interesting story. How, how long before you started your set at Berghain did you arrive in Berlin? Let's see, my set was at 1 p.m. I think I rolled into the club around 12.20 p.m., about 40 minutes before or something like that. Yeah, but what time did your airplane roll into Tegels? Oh, after 11 a.m. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so you got picked up at the airport. Went straight there. Went straight to the club. Oh, wow. I thought you stopped and showered. No. No. No, that, <laughs> that was that was plan A. And then uh, we immediately had to go to plan B when the set got moved. So Right. And I remember I was there and uh, nobody could... We couldn't find you. Like you didn't. You didn't come through the normal entrance of the club. You came in through like the back. Yeah, I, I came in through the back. Took one look. Like popped my head out. Took a look around. Was just like, yeah, no. And like went yeah. back, said it in the okay. green room. And yeah, like, your girlfriend Vicky was like, I saw him. He was in the booth. I saw him. I'm like, mm, no, he's not yeah, there. Like I, I was, didn't even know. There's like that escape door that I didn't even. Yeah, I've, I just had I've to go sit upstairs and have a, have a beer and like kind of look at my music one more time because the music that was going on in there before me was quite intense so i had to think about right. it was memo right Lote? Yeah. yeah 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 he plays fast and hard um so how did the set go uh i was really happy with it i think it went really well yeah as an attendee i mean i've been i feel lucky to have witnessed you play a lot a lot of your big sets in the past year in completely different places uh the other big one really big one i think before then was at the labyrinth festival in japan in september of 2015 um how like what were your expectations of that gig and how did it did it live up to your expectations did it exceed them because i mean labyrinth has a pretty massive reputation in our world yeah it does um uh, again that was another place that i hadn't i had never been to uh the labyrinth fest prior to prior yeah. to that so i had you know i've seen pictures and i've talked to um uh, uh, donato dazi and some other folks that have played there and kind of got you know, we all kind of have an idea of what it's going to be like, but it doesn't really prepare you for it. Like, kind of like the size of of it. You yeah, know, you, you walk up. I there think it was it, a little bigger than I it, expected. So the for festival. somehow that there's some sort of like yeah warping that's going on with the magnetic fields around there. Like all the pictures seem everything looks way smaller than yeah it does in real life. Um, but no, um, it's it, it was it was fantastic. I had a great time. Um, uh, in preparing for that, it was the same kind of thing. Just imagining what what the vibe was going to be like and coming prepared with a kind of a lot of different options. Yeah. Well, it, but at least in that case, you got to spend two full days at the festival before you played. You didn't. That is correct. Yeah, <laughs> that was, <laughs> a little, that was good. And, um, like the, it's, it's known as the world's best sound system, you know, for a techno event. Did you, do you feel like it, it lived up to that reputation? I don't know that I've ever heard anything quite like it. It was, yeah, I pretty much the most crystal clear sound system I've ever heard. Um, no matter where you were in the festival, all the way in the back by the food area, you could hear everything just again, crystal clear. Yeah. From the, like the first note that I heard on that sound system, I, and I had insanely high expectations and it was just like, Oh, <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> it's pretty much my reaction. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. I see what they're talking Hands about. Hands down the best monitoring situation in that booth. Yeah, too. I was going to ask that about was... that. I never went in there. Yeah, it's just like full size uh, 
function one speakers like on wheels that they just kind of like rolled around right and russ who organizes the festival does some extra things that as far as i know nobody else does including like the what he puts like an external uh digital to analog converter onto the cdjs yes he has a, yeah, a separate converter for each cdj runs the like the digital out from each cdj into the converter right so he has some fan some converters that are obviously far he's really better than what's built into the, the right. pioneer cdjs yeah he's he prefers those he's a kind of a big hi-fi uh nerd so to yeah. speak and i mean that in the best way you know i mean it's uh it just uh, and you can you can tell everything from the source all the way through to the the speakers just sounds fantastic. Right. And um, how did you find the crowd in Japan compared to other places you've played in the world? Unreal. I mean, the most they're incredibly respectful. They just they're so warm and I mean I I never saw a piece of trash on the ground like the yeah. entire time. Everybody like would walk it across the, to the festival site to find a trash can if necessary. Yeah, um, just little things like that just really made made a world of difference. Yeah, one thing that really one thing that really struck me in Japan is that people don't seem to really, not completely, but for the most part, they don't talk on the dance floor. They no. just they're like, if you want to talk, you go over to the bar right. and have a conversation. It's kind of an unsaid. Uh, yeah, you rule just don't you don't do that, which is obviously not how things go down in new york when there's a breakdown in the track and you just hear like, rah, 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 like exactly everybody's... yeah there's there's just there's a there's a reverence for the music at that festival in particular i think in japan in general um again that that respectful nature but certainly at labyrinth there's there's that reverence for the music um did you do any record shopping while you were in japan yeah uh did i don't know i can't <laughs> four five six different stores we went all over the place all over shibuya and and, and how Tokyo. did you find that compared to like record stores in new york and uh detroit and other places you've been i mean it's different everywhere yeah it's you know you find different things they had everything was in really good shape there i will say that there's take really good care of the records there they yeah and um have these recent travels that you've been doing you know playing more and more outside of new york and detroit is this uh has this changed your approach to DJing do you think not not necessarily no I mean I've I've kind of said that it's like I've made it this far kind of sticking to what I want to play and right. playing it the way that I want to play it that I I don't know I'll cross that bridge when I come to it if I'm you know getting paid to do something that is not me which I don't think I could I don't possibly do I yeah mean, I mean you've but, you've got I'm handling your bookings in the U.S. and you've just signed on with Odd Fantastic for Europe as well. And I feel like everybody gets it and no one's going to put you in front of. I mean, it's been right. you see Servito playing all over the world right now. And he like and he's playing he's, him, like, his, like himself. he does what he right. does. Yeah, exactly. He's, you just do what you do. And you... yeah, so I don't see myself changing myself. Now, will I show up to a club and play like the set I've been playing, like kind of uh, <laughs> more, you know, slower, darker, more abstract or something that, you know. Probably not, but I mean, I have a wide range of music that I like to play. So this is, I see these opportunities as a way to kind of flesh or flex and flesh out those kind of sounds. Yeah. So another big set that happened uh, fairly recently was your closing set at the Unter Times, the Bunker Party in March, our first 36 hour party. And you did the last 10 hours. Is that, is that the longest set you've played publicly? Yeah. Definitely the, the longest public set. 
And was your preparation for that set much different than, I mean, there must be some difference playing that long versus a typical two to three hour. It, it, it was definitely, it was different. Whereas in like a normal, like, let's say I'm playing like four hours even, you know, I still want to go through a couple different, uh, not genres, but like kind of hit a couple different spots, you know, in within my set. So I go through my tracks, uh, you know, this is going to fit in this set, this one isn't. Back and forth, you know, and, and kind of throw them in her playlist. For the 10-hour set, it was more like, oh, that, yep, yes, yes, yes. I mean, I just had to kind of bring everything. Yeah. Anyway, I think I showed up with, like, over 700 tracks. Wow. That's a lot of tracks. Yeah. And I should add that, I mean, I think I already said, but Patrick played the closing set of that party. So if you can imagine doing the last 10 hours of a 36-hour party, it's... I would say far more challenging than doing like the peak 10 hours of a 36 hour party. You know, yeah, it, they're both, they both have their challenges. I don't know if I could play like, well, I shouldn't say, I don't know, but I mean, it would be difficult <laughs> to play. Like I, I, that night I was of the 36 hour party. I played like peak time music for probably six to seven hours before right. I started winding it down because I just felt like I just needed a break. So playing 10 hours of peak time music just seems would be kind yeah. of kind of crazy i mean it's almost better though because in a way you don't have to think about the, your your trajectory you can just kind of just keep going for it it's just an automatic like yep just keep pushing them keep going for it so right and you did another another extended set you did for the bunker was at the bunker limited in 2014 at trans picos where you played the entire night so you were able to you know you weren't coming on after servito or anybody you were able to set the tone for the entire night um by yourself and how, how did how would that how does that differ is that something is that something you're looking to do i guess more sure and th that i thought that was the, actually the eight hours easier because you could not uh, not i mean the fa the fact that it was two hours shorter just doesn't really <laughs> play into it it was more the the fact that uh i had to i had to start out i had to start somewhere and i had to end somewhere instead of picking up where somebody's leaving you off with like you know really jacking kind of peak time crowd I was able to start out with, you know, rain sounds, some frog sounds, some jazz, some Miles Davis, you know, all kinds of stuff. Played disco and kind of covered a lot of bases before I even got to, say, like 1 a.m. when I started playing more like yeah, upbeat house and whatnot. Um, so you're, you have a connection to the Interdimensional Transmissions crew. I feel like that's been, I don't know how long that's been going on, but uh, it's really, it feels like it really solidified for me in the last, since No Way Back, really. Um, yeah, I've been friends with them since um, the 90s, um, particularly Brendan and uh, Erica, Carlos, and Derek, actually. I mean, uh, the entire crew I've known since the 90s. Right. And um, IT has always thrown parties, and I started playing. I don't can't even recall when the first party I was, when the first party was that I played for them. Um, sometime in the early to mid-2000s, but by then I was playing... With Brendan, he took me down to WMC to play his party down there in like 2005, maybe. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was there was a lot. There's history there before, even before No Way Back started. Right, of course. And did yeah. you? How did you connect with those guys? Was it just at parties in Detroit? Was it at record time? Well, I met Brendan. Not like we weren't like friends, but acquaintances. I'd say you know, just meeting him. He worked at record time in the early 90s. So going in and buying records from him was always really awesome because he was really blunt and just this is a good record that record sucks you know and <laughs> and and he was always right you know so i, I loved uh his opinion on the matter 
right and derek worked there as well and derek worked there and then but i mean i was already friends i was much closer with derek like over those years anyway right you guys were kind of party buddies in a way <laughs> we, just in a way in, <laughs> well yeah i mean roommates party buddies all the above all the column a column b okay so speaking of derek um what like how did your connection to the bunker start and when i guess that would have been i believe it was november 2006 is when i f- came to the bunker for the first time at subtonic so was, yeah we were at subtonic until 2007 oh, yeah so i visited new york uh, to play a cmj party uh with derek actually the day after the bunker it was on a saturday during the day whose cmj party was it i totally don't remember this uh, ghostly or something no it wasn't it wasn't ghostly even though sam was there i can't well regardless yeah, um, who does yeah CMJ so I, that parties? was the, i think that was the first time <laughs> that was introduced to you and um you know just wanted to see wanted to see the bunker and then there was this party in 2007 it was a movement was oh, actually right. was it was it movement then it was movement that was that was yeah it was movement and uh that's right because adriel and i adriel and i adriel um fantastique from detroit yeah him and I were doing parties at the time, and we had you and Derek yeah. come as like a kind of a bunker showcase, and it was an all-day party at Buzz Bar in Detroit. We had yeah, I remember Kevin the Reynolds, party. Israel Vines, Seth Trox, were all a whole host of like local people. Cause Seth was still living there at the time as well. Yeah, that's funny. I remember getting extremely drunk thanks to Greg Mudge at that party. He <laughs> went in on me. I had never met him before. Nobody warned me. Sorry. That's how you learn. <laughs> you don't look sorry at all. Nope. <laughs> um, and your when was your, your, so your first official gig for the bunker was at uh, 2010 as part of the Unsound Festival. Yeah, that was, yes, I had come, I come back another time to play. I think I played at APT for Derek or something, but the, oh, I, I, yeah, I remember always, those. Yeah. What and were the, those called? Ken Meyer did the flyers. Can't remember. Yeah. I mean, um, sorry, Derek. <laughs> but uh, sorry, Ken. <laughs> But yeah, so that was 2008, I believe. So then I've been kind of bugging Derek, like, hey, talk to Brian. I really want to play, you know, the bunker. And then it just so happened that it was for the un- one of the your unsound parties in like February 2010, early February. And that's when did you move to New York? Later that year, because it was that over that trip. It was kind of like the, it was the like kind of the, the catalyst. The catalyst, exactly. Okay, and then we're fast forwarding a bunch of years. Uh, you released a record on the Bunker New York earlier this year, which I failed to mention, but we've been listening to it in the background uh, throughout this interview, and uh, is a remix record of stuff we'd already released. It was the the very first? They're all it's three remixes. It's and it's to date still the only remixes we've ever released on the Bunker. Um, do you want to tell us maybe like the story behind that? Why it's a remix record? Of. Uh- <laughs> Because I don't, uh, I'm not so hot at the finishing the original material. Is that what you're but trying yet, to get? Yeah, like why? Um, like no, I, mean, I really love doing remixes, and you know, I you, I've heard you play some of my remixes prior to this record out a bunch, and yeah, uh, when you asked me to, you know, hey, would you, would you want to? I don't do remixes. You said actually, yeah, I don't do remixes, but I'll let you do a. Well, I like the idea. Of, I, I like the idea of doing fantastic. that record, like because I, I mean, I'm sure we're not the first person to have one person remixed a bunch of other things on one record 
I, I mean, I don't know who else has done that, but I'm sure it's happened. Sure. But I, I just remember listening to a lot of your remixes and I thought to myself, man, if he just gave me three or four remixes, I wouldn't even know they were remixes and told me it was his record, I would put it out. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Ding. Yeah, that's the answer. Um, we did it and it was it was incredibly well received. Um, it's a great record. Thank I had a lot of that. fun making it. Yeah. So, I mean, what is it about doing like the process of doing a remix that may like, why, why is that? So that doesn't, I mean, I'm sure it's challenging for you, but why, why can you do that so much easier than just starting from scratch and doing your own production? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm not really good at making final decisions when it comes to that. It's like, I just want to keep working at it, working, working at it. And I think coming up with something totally from scratch and like melodies, I, Right. It's something that it's just it's hard for me to connect with. It's coming up with something that I am really happy with. Whereas I'm given a kind of a wealth of material with this uh, bunker remix record, you know, yeah. and to choose from. And there's just all these stems that have all this, all this. I don't know. Just everything's great. You're not you're not staring at a and, blank page. You're no, and you have like a bunch. There's a lot of pieces that are already in place, and I can just I can kind of deconstruct and rearrange it. And I like doing that a little bit more than creating my own tracks now that isn't to say i haven't been working on my own material i have but oh really well yeah <laughs> are they fit once again are they finished maybe somebody else has to be the judge of whether or not they're finished fair enough <laughs> we'll talk later <laughs> um so uh let's talk briefly about your current dj setup because this is this has changed in the past i don't know year or so i mean slightly but still there's there's been a shift where you you were you, I mean, you have an incredible and very well curated vinyl collection, and uh, lately you've st you you're still collecting vinyl, but you're not bringing the vinyl out to gigs anymore. Yeah, you know, it was years ago when Derek, I think, was still even living in Detroit, and we were just bringing some records out and just some rare, really rare, old, you know, Chicago records, what have you. Things that would be like hundred, two hundred dollars to replace. And <laughs> Derek's like, "Why are you bringing these things out? Why don't you like play?" Final Scratch or whatever was out at the time that he was using. And I said, well, I'll think about it. And I think around 2010, when I did my RA podcast is when I first started using Tractor. Then I got kind of tired of bringing the computer out all the time and looking at it while I was playing. So I was like kind of switching back to vinyl and using a CDJ at the same time to play some digital tracks. Yeah. It's the it's not just bringing out... I mean, I DJed with, from Tractor with Vinyl Control for a while, and it's not just bringing out the laptop it was and I, mean, I think it's the reason why not many people use it anymore it's like connecting the sound card of all course, those cables yeah. if it's you either have to get there before the party starts where if it's a 36 hour party or you're playing a panorama bar or something it's just it's it's scary to have right. to yeah like, my, my tractor era was fairly short-lived i was swore <laughs> by it when i first started with it. i'm like this is great and then i just got to, yeah i just got tired of the hassle and then with the advent of like the usb sticks with the use of it with the cdj's has been kind of a game changer for me right so now i mean i think i thought i think the first time i saw you play just without bringing out any vinyl was at labyrinth was is that oh yeah maybe yeah because i think it was i was at that point up until that point i was bringing like a little bit of vinyl and then some cdj's and just i've been working over the past like year or two just slowly digitizing things as i I'll pull a record that I want to play like that night and I'll just digitize it. I'm not actively sitting at home yeah. going through and, and digitizing, but just one, maybe a couple at a time for per gig. And now building up your collection. Exactly. Slowly. Yeah. It takes mm -hmm. time. 
Um, has Do you think this has changed the way you play at all or your approach to music, or is it pretty much the same thing? Um, it has slightly changed it, I would say. it's. Um, if anything, I, c- I think I can layer be- uh, tracks better and be a little more fluid. Um, I often like to use three CDJs whenever possible so I can just get two things going and maybe look something up on the third one or, or whatnot. But uh, I also use like the looping feature on the CDJs quite a bit. Right, which works really well. Right. Um, all right. Well, what what do you what do we have coming up next from you? Like any upcoming gigs you want to talk about? Releases, mixes, etc. What are we? I mean, I I know more than I'm allowed to talk about. So you right. know what you're you know what you're allowed to talk about. Right. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, I couldn't say that I'll be playing in Toronto on July 30th with uh, Erica, BMG, um, Boanzer. Uh, Justin Long, there's like a, a ton of people. It's like a fantastic lineup. Uh-huh. Um, and again, that's in Toronto on July 30th. And then a couple small things in, in August. One maybe not so small, but I'm not sure how public that is either. And then uh, <laughs> doing a, an all-disco set with uh, Alex from Queens at Black Flamingo on the 13th of August. Um, might be the last one of these I do for a while. I just want to kind of take a break from playing disco. So it'll be kind of a, it should be a fun time. And then in, later in the fall, have a European tour, doing uh, Berlin, Paris, Amsterdam, London, etc. Hitting all the big spots. Right. Um, well, that all sounds very exciting. And of course, we also have you next weekend. We already mentioned earlier the 36-hour Unter that is Bunker Party with a whole bunch of exciting folks. Actually, I should probably read through the lineup since I haven't done that on the show yet. We have uh, Rod Had, Ancient Methods, Carl Meyer. Modest Gleisman, Volvox, Developer Rect, Patrick, Mike Servito, Turtle Bug, and then we were talking about the Mysteries of the Deep party earlier. We have an entire room throughout the party hosted by Mysteries of the Deep with Grant Aaron, Matthew Patterson Curry, Nahal Ramchandani, Clay Wilson, Ken Meyer, JD Harrington Bourne, and Patrick Russell. Patrick's actually on Saturday night playing consecutive sets in the ambient room and then uh, closing out the main room with a four hour set. So we're all very excited about that. More info on that at thebunkerny.com, including links to our label, podcast, events, booking agency, everything. And um, we're going to get back into the mix with Patrick here for the last half hour of the show. Again, thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. Russia. Her head is gonna break into four. She got two heads. She looks wonderful. Everyone watch her, and people pay for that. Super special creation speaking Chinese and Russia. Her head is gonna break into four. 
listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. Just got a few minutes left here. We've been in the mix with Patrick Russell. We will be back in exactly two weeks' time on July 21st, where we're going to be broadcasting from Los Angeles with special guests Jason Loveland and Silent Servant. So tune in for that. And more information on all things The Bunker, as always, can be found at thebunkerny.com. You're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.